Bible has been around, read, adjusted, and interacted with for literally ages. Greg has read it so you don't have to, and now births into the world, Better Bible. Before we begin, as you will be listening to a retelling of Bible, please note that trigger warnings are in place for racism, xenophobia, violence, sexual assault, rape, child abuse, incest, animal cruelty, and more. Welcome to A Better Bible. So we get to Ezra, or Ezra 1, or Ezra and Nehemiah are basically right. The next two books are sometimes put together as one book, or sometimes split into up to four separate parts, which makes sense as the two books essentially say the same thing four times. The same story, kind of, over and over and over. That's not quite like Bible, is it, Greg? Oh, you scamp. Right. Ezra features it three times, Nehemiah uh, once. But we'll get to Nehemiah next time. This episode is Ezra. And no, you're milking this because it's a short book. Cyrus, the king of Persia, has been told by God to build the temple in Jerusalem. Do you remember at the end of Chronicles 2 we met Cyrus briefly, didn't we? Let's get some context here. When this book opens, God's people have been exiled and taken to Babylon. You remember all this. right? We start with them there. The temple has been destroyed, Jerusalem sacked, and it is all bleak as hell. Now, my geography is far from good, and this book kind of acts like Babylon and Persia are the same place. So, let's go with that. I'm sure some of you lot will let me know how correct or accidentally deeply offensive or racist I'm being here. Cyrus, king of Persia, right? God wants him to release the Israelites and send them back to Jerusalem and Judah with loads of gold and silver and animals and all the wood and stone they would need to fix up their city and temple. Additionally, old Nebuchadnezzar had stolen a shitload of their sacred writings, so Cyrus gives all of these back to them as well. All in all, he's being a stand-up gent, and we have a refreshingly upbeat start to the story. And why stop there? We move straight on to a big old list of all the people that Cyrus frees and returns to Judah and Jerusalem. It's a long list, but I guess a happy one? There were, however, a few people that didn't get to be freed. Basically, anyone that couldn't prove they were descendants of the exiles weren't able to go. So, if you're rubbish at family trees, you are shit out of luck. As loads of people were fucking off home, you have the people who were too cheap to get the pay-for version of Ancestry.com, and all the suspicious people banging on about how the DNA and me post thing is just a way for the government to get your DNA samples. All those people had to stay behind, presumably as punishment for their distrust. Yeah. Not able to prove descendants were the OG exiles, right? You're clearly unclean and not allowed fancy food. So we have the Israelites all back in Jerusalem, and they start to build an altar to their god. Just like what Moses wanted for all those offerings. And Christ, the offerings start to flow. They celebrate the festival of tabernacles, give all kinds of sacrifices and offerings. God could not be happier. Then, right, right they pay all the people who will be rebuilding the temple. Once everyone is well compensated for work they have not yet done, which is a lesson one or two comedy clubs could learn from, you've had my invoice for fucking months. Pay me. Everyone is paid, and they start to build the temple. 
There's praising and trumpets once the foundation is laid. Everyone is losing their collective shit and it is amazing. But hang on a damn second, what's this? Turns out, some of the old guard, the originals, the, and the priests and that that can remember being exiled, I think this whole book is about 50 odd years after the exile, but regardless, 70 isn't it, 70 years. Some of these originals are crying, getting full on sad when the foundation's laid. I'm not entirely sure why, probably something about it not being exactly the same as in their day. As these old people are crying, everyone else who isn't a massive killjoy is hearing about these happy exiles building the temple and various people who are not exiled, who have just been kind of knocking about Judah and Jerusalem for decades, turn up and ask to help. Seems nice, right? But no. Uh, Zarababel, everyone's favourite name in Bible, and Joshua tell them to fuck all of the way off. They do not want their help and will not be accepting it. Building a temple is only for exiles, it turns out, so all these people, these non-exiled people, still God's chosen people, but not the right kind of chosen people, are right to be treated like dicks. And I agree, dear listener. Not sure where Joshua and Zarababel came from all of a sudden, let's agree that I definitely missed a little something out there. It gets worse, right? A letter is sent to King Artexas, whose name, incidentally, is not pronounced like that. He took over from Cyrus, I assume people write to him to complain that the exiles are building a temple. Bang on! Everything was going so well just a second ago. It was all nice and easy and everyone was happy, then some old people got shitty with non-exiles offering to help because the humanity, and now, all of a fucking sudden, a letter is being sent to some king of Persia or Babylon or wherever, complaining about the exiles building the bastard temple. I'm beginning to wonder whether this fucking temple is worth all the hassle. We've been stuck pissing on about this temple for most of this bastard book. So far, it goes like this. God creates the world, flood, Moses, Abraham, temple, 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 bastard temple. This letter, it says they won't be paying taxes if left to accomplish their goals. The king replies saying that he checked his notes and turns out the letter writer is correct. These people are balanced and will certainly not pay taxes. Order them to stop work. They must not rebuild the temple or their city. And the Jews are compelled to stop work completely. So, right, okay. Now we get another letter. This time it's sent to King Darius, right? He's the next one after our taxi exes. Again, not pronounced like that, right? They point out that the work is happening in Jerusalem. It simply is still going on. The letter writer says, look, I told those Jews to stop working. I gave orders, but they said they answered to God alone. That God wants them to build, so by Christ, whoever that may be, they will continue to build. The letter goes on to say that they were fucked off to Babylon during the exile because they treated God like a bitch. It was a punishment, and they learnt their lesson, but that King Cyrus let them go free at God's command, so they must have pleased God, and you can bet your bottom dollar they intended to keep pleasing God. The letter then goes on to retell the first couple chapters of this very book that we're currently reading, so all the information we have just this moment read, yep, yep, that's repeated, which may be the shortest time between repeating itself Bible has done since Genesis chapter 1 
verse 2, which is a repeat of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Anyway, can Darius please check that this Cyrus stuff is true, please and thank you. So Darius, being a sensible king, checks it out. And yes, he finds out that Cyrus did free these guys, not a surprise to us, as we have just fucking read that. But also, the record shows that Cyrus told them to rebuild the temple. It goes on to once again repeat all the stuff from chapters 1 and 2, just full-on repeated. Darius tells everyone to leave them alone, let them be, let them build the temple, and furthermore, Darius makes sure that it's paid for from the royal treasury. We agreed to pay it for them, and we bloody well. He says, sort it the fuck out, dickheads. Alright, steady on Darius. Furthermore, he says, if anyone goes against them, right, they're to go home, okay, right, the pole pulled out of their house, right, and they're to be impaled upon it. So with those harsh words, everyone falls in line. Complaints stop, and the temple continues to be built. Amazing stuff. They finally finish building the fucking thing, and with the temple finished, they are able to celebrate. Passover comes around, and they celebrate that at the new, clean, fully refurbished temple. Everything is amazing. No way I can see anything possibly going wrong this time. <laughs> but hang on, people. We're at chapter 7 of 10. And who turns up? Ezra! That's right, this book's namesake makes a fashionably late arrival and starts teaching and doing all that in Jerusalem, right? Ezra gets a long letter from King Artaxi... Ta uh, uh, taxes, which is pronounced differently because linear storytelling is for pussies. This letter just says that they can get what they want from Babylon, as that is what has been agreed. So whatever, like really money, booze, food, animals, anything. What God wants, God gets. No need for any of that terrifying wrath your God is so famous for to fall upon me and my people. Thank you, I'll just be an obedient Babylonian king. Now, it's been a minute since we had a list. Let's get one. We get a list of all the families that came out of exile, again from Babylon. Ezra starts banging on about feeling stupid and not wanting to ask the Babylonian king for any help because he has been talking a big game about his god looking out for his people, providing everyone with, with what they want and being the best of all possible gods. So if Ezra now comes over to the king, cap in the hand, it will look a little bit like his god is something of a bitch. And who wants that? <laughs> Not Ezra, that is for sure. Remember this, kids. Asking for help means you are weak. We've almost done with Ezra. Just enough time for him to start going mental about intermarriage, which in this instance means God's people, the exiles, aren't to marry anyone else. Like, even the non-exiled God's people. <laughs> nope. If you mingle blood, their words, you're a wrong one. And loads of God's people have been marrying foreigners, right? Ezra is so disgusted by this that he rips his beard off, which is no mean feat. His beard right off his racist face. 
He gets on his knees and prays, saying how ashamed he is because all his people are marrying all these foreign people, which seems a bit much. Not surprising, but still. As we get into the final chapter, the racist idiot Ezra calls everyone to him, gets them to promise to leave their foreign wives and children. They instantly agree to this, no resistance at all, almost like they were regretting their marriages and looking for any excuse to bail, right? And finally, there is a long list of all the people who married foreign women. <laughs> Just a naming and shaming bit at the end of the book, right? Lovely. So, with that, the book ends and I... I have no idea what the moral of this book is. Seems to be that struggle is struggle and you'll be okay so long as you don't upset the old and just do as you're told unless that confuses you in which case wait because you'll be told something different and subscribe to Ancestry.com and the older the enemy as our children and women from not here, I think. Is that the moral? Nice one, Ezra. Thank you for listening to A Better Bible. Now we need you to spread the word. Rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow the Twitter in the episode description and let us know how we changed your life, why you love us, how you need us. Share this with the world. Evangelize like a bastard.